Something is bubbling among women today. Women crave honest stories that entertain, motivate, and move them. Women want reinforcement that they are not alone in feeling the way that they do and that they can feel good about their prospects. Stories and Strategies for Women podcast will share riveting stories about amazing women. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. A good story well told is powerful. A good story can motivate. A good story can inspire action. Claudine here. We are very excited to welcome a new sponsor. It's iBobs at iBobs.com. I discovered iBobs years ago when I needed readers. If I needed to wear glasses, I wanted them to be fun to wear and fun to buy. iBobs fits the bill and makes buying glasses super easy. Wondering what frames look the best on you? Check out the style quiz on the site to help you find the perfect frames. I love my latest pair called What Inheritance? A cool light blue color, but my go-to favorite pair is called Clearly in Purple. See, even the names are fun. iBobs is offering a special discount for stories and strategies for women listeners. Enter promo code STORIES AND STRAT10, spell the end, at the checkout to receive a 10% discount today. That's iBobs.com. Welcome to Stories and Strategies for Women podcast. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. With us today are Anna Katz, President CEO of Pearl S. Buck International and Marie Toner, who is the house director of the Pearl S. Buck House. Welcome, Anna and Marie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So I don't know if many people know, uh, I am originally from Bucks County in Pennsylvania, and Bucks County is a pretty popular county. One of the reasons that we're popular that I don't know that everyone knows about is the fact that the famous writer, Pearl S. Buck, actually lived here and her home and property is open for tours. Uh, She's led such an amazing life and I'm so happy to have you guys here to tell us everything that we need to know about Pearl S. Buck. So let's start with with who she is for anyone who doesn't know and why she's so famous. Sure, I'm going to field that question. I want to get into maybe the history of Pearl Buck because it really helps you understand her as a person and how she made moves later on in her life. Um, so Pearl Buck was born on June 26, 1892 in Hillsborough, West Virginia. Pearl's parents were Presbyterian missionaries in China since 1880, and they were home on furlough when she was born. They returned to China shortly after her birth and Pearl Buck grew up among the Chinese people because her parents preferred to live among the Chinese and not in a missionary compound. Chinese would be her first language. She would play with Chinese children, listen to their ideas and absorb their culture. These experiences would later be used in her novels and her writings. She actually wrote her first piece In 1899, when she was just six years old, she wrote a letter from China to the editor of the Christian Observer in Louisville, Kentucky. It was her first published writing, and it appeared under the headlines, Our Real Home in Heaven. And if you'd like, I'll read the little excerpt that she wrote. Sure. 
I am a little girl, six years old. I live in China. I have a big brother in college who is coming to China to help our father tell the Chinese about Jesus. I have two little brothers in heaven. Maudie went first, then Artie, then Edith. And on the 10th of last month, my little brave brother, Clyde, left us to go to our real home in heaven. Clyde said he was a Christian soldier and that heaven was his bestest home. Clyde was four years old, and we both love the little letters in the Observer. I wrote this all myself, and my hand is tired, so goodbye. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yes. So although Pearl Buck grew up in China and had a Confucius tutor, her mother also homeschooled her. She was exposed to American culture, especially by her mother, who observed all American holidays. She actually visited the United States in 1901, but in 1910, Pearl Buck returned again to enroll in the Randolph-Macon Women's College in Virginia. She received a bachelor's degree in philosophy in 1914 and was invited to teach psychology at the college. She actually returned to China shortly after that to take care of her ailing mother. And in 1916, while in China, she met her first husband, John Lossing Buck. He was an agricultural missionary, and in 1917, they got married. They spent their first five years in North China, and this is where she saw a lot of what inspired her to write her best-known work, The Good Earth. On March 4, 1920, Pearl Buck gave birth to her only biological daughter, Carol. She became concerned that Carol was not developing normally. Eventually, Carol would be diagnosed with PKU, which is fetal catenoria, which is if it's not treated immediately at birth, it can lead to things such as brain damage, intellectual disabilities, behavioral symptoms, and seizures. Today, when babies are born, they do a blood test by pricking the baby's heel to detect PKU. You can actually learn about Pearl S. Buck and her experiences with her daughter through our most recent virtual exhibit on our website. It is actually under www.pearlsbuck.org slash exhibit dash gallery. And it is titled, I Speak as One Who Knows, The Story Behind the Child Who Never Grew. She writes a book in 1950 titled The Child Who Never Grew. It was about her personal feelings and experiences with Carol, and the book actually helped many parents. In 1924, the Buck family returned to the United States to go to Cornell University, where Pearl S. Buck received her master's degree in English literature. Before they returned to China again, they adopted a baby girl named Janice. And since Pearl Buck was unable to have more children, that's what they had decided to do. In 1927, the Buck family was back in China, and they experienced the Nanking Incident. Um, the Nanking incident occurred um, in 1927 when Chinese nationalist troops entered the city as part of their Northern Exposition military campaign. These troops targeted the city's foreign missionaries and their foreign residences. Several were killed or injured and their properties were looted, including Pearl Bucks. They had to go into hiding. They also attacked the American, Japanese, and British consulates there. They went into hiding until they were rescued and they escaped to Japan. Pearl Buck spent about a year there before returning to China, which was still a threatening atmosphere towards foreigners. 
Even during this time, she was still concerned about her daughter, Carol, and she knew that she would need special care. So in 1929, Pearl Buck visited, prior to this, the United States and went to many different schools to try and find a place for her daughter to live. She ultimately decided on the Vineland Training School in Vineland, New Jersey, where Carol would live out the remainder of her life. She lived until 1992. She was concerned about being able to pay for Carol's care, so that's when she began to write in earnest. She wrote her first novel, East Wind, West Wind, and it was published by the John Day Publishing Company in 1930 by Richard Walsh, who would become her second husband. Her next book would be The Good Earth, and it was awarded the Pulitzer in 1932 and remained on the bestseller list for 21 months. And in 1937, she, it became an Oscar award-winning film. In 1934, to escape the continuing threat to foreigners in China, they decided to move back to the United States. In 1935, she divorced her husband, John Lossing Buck, and married her publisher, Richard Walsh, on the same day. She then purchased Green Hills Farm in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is the headquarters of Pearl S. Buck International today. You can visit her home and see her mostly intact collection, such as the typewriter and the desk that she wrote The Good Earth on in her attic in China. At this home that we care for today, she would raise her family with her husband, Richard, who adopted three sons and three more daughters, uh, two of whom were biracial. And she also had many foster children in her care. In 1938, Pearl Buck was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature for her body of work, um, which was not just The Good Earth. It included everything she had written up until that point. It included East Wind, West Wind, The Good Earth, Sons, The Young Revolutionist, The First Wife, A House Divided, The Mother, The Exile, The Fighting Angel, This Proud Heart, and All Men Are Brothers. She was the first American woman to be awarded both the Pulitzer and the Nobel Prizes for Literature. Not only was she so accomplished for her literary achievements, but she was also a driving force in humanitarian causes as well. So when she came here, she witnessed all sorts of discrimination, and she decided she was going to fight against it. She became a lifelong advocate for cross-cultural understanding and racial harmony. She became a vocal supporter of the civil rights movement. And during World War II with her husband, she created the East and West Association. The East and West Association was a nonprofit, nonpolitical organization having as its purpose the interpretations of countries East and West through their people in order that during these times of war and peace to follow, there may be a better understanding between peoples of the world. They also um, opened Asia Magazine as well, which was a luxury magazine to begin with, but they turned it into a magazine to report on Asia and its peoples. In 1949, she learned that mixed-race children were considered unadoptable and opened up Welcome House, one of the first adoption agencies in the country to find homes for biracial children. In 1964, the Pearl S. Buck Foundation was founded by Pearl Buck, and this was to eliminate prejudices and injustices suffered by children who experienced discrimination because of the circumstances of their birth. Today, the foundation is known as Pearl S. Buck International. She 
passed away on March 6, 1973. At the age of 80, she had lung cancer and she passed away in Vermont. She is buried here on the property where her National Historic Landmark home is and where we continue the work of Pearl S. Buck International today. Is that all you have to say there, Marie? Or you got some more in there? <laughs> I go on. I feel like I skipped a few parts of her life. So. No, that's okay. All right. So let me ask you a few questions. Let's unpack what you just said. Uh, just a few questions. So it, it sounds because her firstborn daughter, Carol, her own, only daughter, um, biological daughter, she, she sounds like she was the first special needs mother. I mean, she wasn't the first, but she was a special needs mother. That exhibit must be amazing. Yeah, I had um, a really, I don't want to say wonderful time um, doing the exhibit, but it was certainly eye-opening to understand what she was going through and to just see what was going on during that time. People putting their children into institutions and not telling their families what happened to them, just telling them they went off to school and things like that. It's just... And she had, she ended up being one of the first people who had the ability to speak up about it. And yes. that's what she wrote, The Child Who Never Grew. Yes. Yeah, yes. I would just like to add, like, when I looked at her, the body of her work and her uh, writings on civil rights, on women's rights, when I got to The Child That Never Grew, you could tell how much that was such a personal struggle for her to, you know, even accept the conditions that she was living in. But just by the mere fact that she wrote that book opened up the doors to so many people, to parents. And she actually established relationships with many families and uh, would talk to them about the issues that she went through. Um, to me, it was the most, like, you really get the inside of Pearl S. Bach when you read, um, you know, The Child That Never Grew. And, so and it that, was like a real one-on-one -on -one personal struggle. So that was a book that she yeah. wrote. Mm -hmm. yes. Wow, The Child That Never Grew. Amazing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you're saying that that is an online, you can go online. I was just trying to pull up your website. Can you give that to us, your website, yeah. so people can it's see it? www.pearlsbuck.org slash exhibit and then dash gallery. We'll check that out. Awesome. Okay. Because one of the things I find so inspiring about Pearl is her, just her, everything that she was able to accomplish. And I found at your gift store, you have some of her books there at your gift store. And I bought one uh, called My Several Worlds, which is her personal record. And in the, in the beginning of the book, it says that, and I'm not, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but she describes herself as not being the most competitive person. And mm -hmm. yet she was able to accomplish. And she had, how many brothers and sisters did she have? She had her older brother, Edgar, and then her sister, Grace, were the children that survived to adulthood. Gotcha. And, but of those children, she was the only one who felt the need to write about China and her experience there. Well, actually, her brother. So he also wrote about China, his Chinese experience. Her siblings that survived to adulthood were Edgar Seidenstricker, and he was actually, um, he had a distinguished career with the United States Public Health Service and later the Millbank Memorial Fund. 
And he was about advocating for enhancing the health of the American people. And he was also apparently an inspiring teacher who taught his children to recognize the importance of social responsibility they had to tackle public health problems. So I see their families were activists. You know, they were going out and they were talking about what was important. And her sister, Grace Seidenstricker Yaki, was the author of actually more than 20 books about China and other countries in Asia. She wrote under the pseudonym Cor um, Cornelia Spencer. And just like her sister, she had um, actually interacted with the NAACP. She sent them a manuscript titled A Study of Prejudice Against the Negro. And she also continued to live in China with her husband, who was a missionary. So I think their work did continue, but Pearl was given the opportunity um, through her writing and her fame to be able to speak out about what she found important. Neat. And so all the siblings were inspired. Um, she also writes in that book that she doesn't know why her parents decided to go to China other than to spread the word of Christianity. But in terms of their upbringing and their families, it was something completely out of the, the, the loop for, for her family. Mm -hmm. So it's so, it's so amazing. And why don't you talk a little bit about why writing about China was so rare? So many readers around the world, for the first time, they encountered China through the writings of Pearl S. Buck. And the Chinese were actually isolated from the outside world. They had few visitors that were allowed in. Um, Marco Polo was one of the first to bring back tales and stories. He wasn't the first one, but he was obviously one of the most famous. Dynasties at the time also did not permit Chinese students to leave and study elsewhere. The educated Chinese did not usually write novels. They wrote beautiful poetry and things like that. And most Chinese could not read or write. The first English newspapers in China were not published until the late 1800s. So they were very secretive about their creative works on paper. China had actually banned her books, and during the communist victory in October of 1949, it, they provoked a bitter response from the United States government, which refused to recognize Mayo's regime and banned all travel between the two countries. For more than two decades, neither Pearl Buck nor any other non-government U.S. citizen could legally set foot in China. And not only did China have an issue with what she was doing, but so did the United States. The FBI actually had a file on her, um, which was more than that, which was approximately 300 pages long wow. um, because of the work she did promoting all different kinds of human rights. So her works were banned in China in, until 1997, but today um, it's a very different story. Pearl Buck is revered in China. There are museums in her name. Scholars spend time studying her work. There are conferences, events, gardens named after her, and her books are more widely available. Neat. Okay, so let's go back. So her, her parents went to China as missionaries, but yet they, they needed to return to the States I guess that her mother wasn't feeling very well, maybe. And so Pearl was actually born in America. 
That's correct. She was on furlough. And due to, you know, her pregnancy, and at the time, they decided to stay in the United States. So she was the only child of their family to be born in the United States. So she was a United States citizen. Which is, and yeah, I mean, you think about all the things that came together and what she was able to, to share of the culture. She might have been the only person on earth in that position to write what she did and to kind of introduce the peasant Chinese life to the entire world. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, she was absolutely one of the few who would be able to write on that topic. Exactly. And okay. have an understanding right. about discrimination because she was this little white American girl living right. in China among Chinese children. So yes. she knew all about it. Right. I wonder when she realized she was different. You know, I wonder what that conversation was like with her parents. Well, I know that she read Charles Dickens as a young girl, and I think it was kind of the first time that she experienced other children who looked and sounded like her and through those books. Um, she actually writes an article called A Debt to Dickens, all about how he inspired her writing and how she felt connected to those characters in his novels. Neat. Okay, so she lived in China for 40 years? Yeah, about and- 40. Yeah. And then she came back to the States and you're saying that at, at, at some point she, her, her works were banned in China. Was that long after she left that they were banned? Yeah. Okay for a while and then they were banned? So I don't know the exact dates of when they were banned, but... She it was wrote, during the Cultural Revolution, I think, yeah. in yes. China that yes. her books were banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes sense. Okay. Because they didn't want the world to know their secrets? Is that what I'm getting? She, they thought that she made them out the to be these peasant people, and that's not what the Chinese wanted to be seen as. She Got was it. writing about real people. Yes. And that's not how they wanted people around the world to perceive them as. Absolutely. So did she start writing while she was in China or did she start writing when she came back to the States? She did start writing while she was in China. She sent East Wind, West Wind, which was her first novel, all to many different publishers. It was right. rejected. Um, actually, her second husband, Richard Walsh, took the book in and basically said that he would agree to publish it with the stipulation that she would write something better in the nice. future. Nice. He, saw, he saw her potential for that writing. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and I know I do, I remember The Good Earth. It it was Mm -hmm. one of the first books that was assigned to me that I can remember that I actually read. And I was young. I mean, I I, it had to have been probably freshman year in high school, I want to say. And for anyone who hasn't read any of Pearl Buck's books, um, you're in for a treat if you if you decide to to open them up. Holy moly, could that woman write? And also, she gets a little. She's, she's, she's very honest. And uh-huh. I can remember in the good earth too, she had some, some sex scenes in there. I'm like, holy schmollies, you know, that's definitely def- sassy. Definitely right? sassy. I mean, it's true, <laughs> true, true stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, also later in life, I read a uh, pavilion of women. Holy moly, that one. And, and, and if you read that as you're in a, you may be a change of life you're like, uh-huh, 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 <laughs> like through the whole thing. It's so good. So she must have been an amazing woman. Like, I just think, gosh, God, she would have been great to just sit down and have a conversation with, you know? 
Yes. Absolutely. Um, and also almost everything she did in her lifetime outside the writing part was so beyond her time. So it's so completely yep. radical for the time. Even to speak about women's rights and empowerment and that women should be in every level of society, in every government position. And then she took on this really interesting uh, situation with Aslanda Robeson, who is an African-American uh, also a writer, uh, anthropologist, and close friends to Prosper. And she did this whole book on the American argument. And it's dialogue between both of them about how they were both really well, you know, well-off women, one white and one African-American, and how they saw the world on so many things so, so differently, given the different life experiences. And, you know, if you look at that today, we utilize that in one of our fundraising events this year. In fact, Marie actually acted as Pros Buck. And nice. the dialogue is also critically important right today. You know, how do we live together? How do we utilize the multicultural understanding of the world? You know, how do we engage in dialogue around differences? Because I feel like that's one of the things we've lost. And, right. you know, I used to be able to fight with people that were, you know, whatever background politically, Republicans, Democrats, you know, in the middle and say, okay, I agree to disagree with you on that point. Okay. And she really captures, you know, that type of dialogue that's really needed in our times today. Yeah. And definitely a woman before her time. She also mm. had a lot of children, right? Uh, adopted children. And they lived with her in, uh, in the house in Bucks County. How did she do it? How was she able to write? I mean, do, you, do we have a number, Marie, of how many books she actually published? It's over a thousand different publications. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, we have books, um, magazine articles, newspaper articles. She wrote a cookbook, yes. uh, children's books. Anything yeah. you can think of. The, so she also was on the editorial board of DC Comics and actually helped to create a superhero character named Johnny Everyman. It was a comic book for a short time. And Johnny Everyman was not your typical superhero. He actually was able to understand people of all differences in all cultures and was able to communicate and bring people together. Um, so I just find that um, so interesting that sh so she found a way to get into every mode of communication so that mm -hmm. she could reach all people. She even says, too, that she wanted her books to be available for all people. So The Good Earth was actually made into a softcover book so that she was able to get her work out to more people because it was more affordable. Sure. And there's definitely a theme that runs through a lot of what she was doing. And like you said, she hit all the modes and all the platforms because she really felt so strongly about her message. One of the things that you mentioned was that she, a part of the reason that you have, or that she created the foundation was in order to get, um, help biracial children be adopted. And in today's world, in 2020, you think, sure, that's great. Like, obviously, but back then, uh, that was, that was a, that was a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That was controversial. Can you tell oh, us why that was controversial? To, to be able to uh, adopt a biracial child in, 
in an American family was, was controversial. Why would that be? So prior to um, Pearl Buck opening Welcome House, adoptions were based on um, the fact that you would look like your adoptive parents. So if you had blonde hair and blue eyes, you Stop were going to go with the family Stop it. with blonde hair and blue eyes. Really? Yes. Kids were actually um, institutionalized um, if they were unable to be adopted. So Pearl Buck actually um, was in communications with a social worker, and the social worker asked if she would take this little boy because he was unable to be adopted. Of course, she took the little boy in, um, and he was of East Indian descent, and she took this little boy in and that's when she started Welcome House. She decided that if, you know, these people were not going to adopt these children, that she would open up her own damned adoption agency. And she asked the community for help in doing that. So we have in Bucks County, you might know that we have other prominent figures here as well. And so she asked um, James Michener and Oscar Hammerstein to join her in starting Welcome House. Um, she also asked other community members as well how they would feel about these children being here. And the community became very open and they helped her to start this. The children also... You know, we're still in six uh, Asian countries right now where it used to be that we would be having children from there adopted to uh, American families. And the thing is, is that uh, these children were not acceptable in their own cultures because here they're the face of an American father most of the time and, you know, a U.S. military person. And so they were not acceptable and they were discriminated, uh, discriminated against in their own countries. And so therefore, you know, and that's why, I mean, one of the things about Pearl Buck, she like vulnerable children just ran through everything for her. That was such a priority to give every opportunity to children that are discriminated against. And so, you know, that's how it started. And that's part of your mission to this day. Mm -hmm, absolutely. We do it through our child sponsorship program. We're still in six Asian countries and um, we match uh, children up with donors here to help them, you know, um, manage their daily lives to help them get an education in certain instances, scholarships for uh, college and things like that. Were there laws that had to be changed in order for that to happen? Was she involved in that at all? Absolutely. Uh, Pearl Buck made an impact not only in her local community, but also throughout the nation. Um, thanks in part to Pearl Buck's advocacy, U.S. adoption agencies changed their policies of matching children only with families of the same race and ethnicity. Wow. Um, so all, and then although um, it was originally founded to facilitate adoptions of biracial children in the United States, Welcome House expanded um, in 1956 to provide international adoption services uh, for abandoned and orphaned children, um, as Anna said, whose uh, families and communities could not care for them. Welcome House began as Pearl Buck's passion and inspiration and had placed over 7,000 children in adoptive homes. However, due to the declining number of healthy young children available for international adoption in the countries in which we worked, we felt the mission was fulfilled. Pearl Buck did say that she hoped that one day there would be be, you know, no more children that 
would suffer because of this um, in terms of adoption. So in 2014, we did end the adoption program, but we continued her foundation, um, just as Anna said, through our sponsorship program. So those children um, in our sponsorship program, they have their families, a lot of them, and they're able, they just need assistance in carrying on throughout their life for their medical needs, nutritional needs, educational needs. Neat, neat. You know, it's funny, listening to her story, with that particular issue, it's like, boy, one person really can change the world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, because mm-hmm. she did, she she was able to do she that. Did okay. So much. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. she sure did. Okay, so let's get back to her as a mom and a wife. I also read that that she was a feminist, and if you read her books, that's clear. Her first marriage to Mister Buck did not work out, and I'm wondering, do we know why? Why didn't it work out with John? Do we know? <laughs> I think that she absolutely wanted her freedom of creativity and that maybe there was a lot of travel and not that she didn't like that because that's what helped her write The Good Earth. But I think maybe she was helping John, you know, write about his agricultural work, which actually he in in his own way became very popular through his writings about agriculture in China. But, you know, maybe that's not something she really wanted to write about. Right. So, she felt, um, felt a little stymied, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I think they were growing apart. And that was when she decided it was time to move on. Gotcha. So she, she came when she came back to the States and she married her publisher, right? Her publisher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many kids did she adopt? So in addition to Carol, her, her biological daughter, and she had, she had adopted Janice. Yeah. And then she had more children, correct? Yes. So she had John, Richard, Edgar, Jean, Henriette, and Chaco. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that clear to anyone <laughs> listening. So, and what's amazing about the house is that it's, and maybe you can explain this as well. It was left almost the way it was when she passed away, correct? That is correct. When she, before she passed away, she left the grounds and the house to the Perlis Buck Foundation. And I just want to read a little excerpt from Four Spacious Skies, which was written in 1966. She writes, during my long career, there is an accumulation of objects that I treasure, various gifts and awards that until now have been put away. I wanted to share them with people, to let them be shown to my readers, those who in a sense had made it possible for me to receive such awards. I propose that the house be on exhibition and the money thus earned to be added to the fund for the children who are lost unless they are found. This is how it happens that the Chinese things I own are now in that house. The prizes and awards, the family Bible, the paintings, the ancient Chinese faces, art objects and manuscripts, the letter leather bound first editions of my books. I feel content to know that in this way too, my life is of use and will so continue to be when I am no longer here in this body that now contains me. In 1966, um, when she wrote that, she transferred ownership of Green Hills Farm 
farm to the Pearl S. Buck Foundation. In 1972, she wrote, Inasmuch as the house in Pennsylvania is being declared a national historic monument, and insofar as it is my wish that my final resting place be there, be it hereby known that it is also my desire that the contents of the Bucks County House remain as nearly as possible exactly as they have been during my lifetime. So in 1974, the Pearl S. House was entered into the National Register of Historic Places. Um, tours started shortly after that. And in 1980, it was designated a National Historic Landmark. Nice and nice. And when you go through, especially the, the kitchen, it's like going through a time warp. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, everything. yeah, all the items from the 70s. And I'm, I'm thinking, how, how was she able to raise that many children and continue to write? as prolifically as she did? Like, what was her secret? So I know that she had a little bit of help. She had a driver. She also had a woman, um, Mrs. Loris, who would come in um, during the week and help her. But she also spent time with her children as well. Um, they cooked Chinese meals on the weekends together. And, but she also like had a very tight schedule and she was very strict about her work time so she would go from working maybe until from 9 a.m until about 1 p.m so nice. she found ways to do things right so she she had it structured and that's a great a great lesson for for women you also mentioned that she she was the first woman to win the nobel peace prize the nobel and pulitzer the and nobel and American pulitzer the first American woman, yes. Wow, that's amazing. Do, do, do we know how she felt about that? I mean, was she psyched or was she like, oh, whatever? Like, you know, there's <laughs> some pictures was, of her. I think she was absolutely surprised, okay. um, but ecstatic nonetheless. There, You can find on the Nobel's website, you can find her receiving the award. She also wrote the Chinese novel, which is about that as well. Basically, about how the Chinese inspired her um, and her writings. And you also mentioned that she, she was buried there. Is that, was that difficult to come about? I don't know if there's rules or whatever. I would assume so. So that would have been in 1973. And she did say this shortly after she moved to the property. She wrote, I would like to be buried here on this site, but not so close to the children's play area or in the view of visitors to be distracted or a reminder of sadness to the living. According to her wishes, she was buried underneath an ash tree. The area remains an area of solitude and contemplation among the pine trees, boo, lush flowers, and grasses. Um, the area actually did suffer damage after a hurricane. Many of the trees that were once there are gone, but it has been beautified, and the stone and grave marker were not damaged during that time. Very good. Okay. So how is the uh, Pearl S. Buck Foundation runs the tours, right? Yes. Pearl S. Buck International. International. Yeah. Runs, runs the tours, and you continue with Pearl's work in other areas as well. Are you open 24-7? So we are open um, right now for tours. We have a shortened schedule because of the winter, but they will expand in March. But um, right now we have one tour a day. We actually have multiple tour offerings as well. All the information about our tours is on our website, www.pearlsbuck.org tours. And 
we have two tours. One is called the Life and Legacy Tour, which is your typical historic house tour. We go through, you get the history of Pearl Buck, the history of the house. There's something for everyone here because you're not even, you're not just talking about the history of Pearl Buck, but the history of the times and the architecture and the buildings. But then our newest tour is called Pearl S. Buck Taking Action, which we actually created with um, Sites of Conscience, where we're a partner with them. And this tour is based on all the things that Pearl Buck found relevant during her lifetime. Biracial children, excuse me, the disabled, women's rights, civil rights, relations with China. And we talk about all these things and we actually relate them to today um, and we have dialogue about it. And we don't just leave people hanging about thinking at the end of the tour, you know, like, so what do I do with all this information I have? We actually um, have a quiz that tells them what type of activists they are, and then they can choose cards at the end of the tour that give them a little guidance about a small thing they can do to make a difference. Right. So you're inspiring people and kind of a call to action there. Yes. That's nice. Right. I love it. So tell me, um, uh, I also wanted to mention there's there's a lot of uh, original artwork in the house, correct? That is correct. Yes. It's all, it's an intact collection. Right. It's about probably, you know, like 98% intact. All of her belongings are there. Um, artwork from Chen Chi, which was a Chinese artist. Many things in her home. Yeah. But you can tell it's it's a well-lived in house yes we actually have to tell visitors yeah we have to tell visitors that you know this might seem very homey and you might want to sit on the chairs and things like that but this is actually a museum (laughs) neat that is so great that is so great okay so that that would be a great thing for people to visit if if they're in the area so tell can i put you guys on the spot um and ask uh, anna maybe one of your favorite pearl s buck books Okay, so right now, okay, let me say, what is my favorite? I think it has to be The Child That Never Grew, only because, I mean, first of all, uh, definitely probably The Good Earth, which I probably have to read again and haven't looked at since I was also in high school. But there's something about that personal struggle that she goes through. Like, I think like a lot of other books and her issues on civil rights and and women's rights are somewhat sometimes theoretical this is so from the heart and the soul and you really see the process that she went through you know accepting the terms of the conditions of her daughter and how she's you know and and a whole process where then she can really appreciate you know her as a full human being so i think for me right now at this point i always feel moved by by that Yes. By the child that never grew. And it, it's a very thin book like this, but it's all pretty gets to the heart and soul yep. of Pearl Buck to me. Yes, the behind the scenes look and a subject that affects so many parents, right? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and how about you, young lady, Marie? Uh, so that's a really difficult question for me uh, because I've done a lot of research and I've read a lot of, about different topics and read a lot of her materials. I must say that I'm always intrigued by her articles that she writes, especially um, in newspapers and things. And we do have an archival collection where um, we do have some of those things available if people are interested. But my favorite novel probably, and I don't know why, I can't tell you why it touched me so much the young revolutionist yeah okay it it felt like she was looking into you know a young man's perspective about china and missionary work and what was going on 
Neat. Okay. We'll have to check that out. And also wanted to ask you guys if anyone's listening and, and feels interested in volunteering, do you have those kinds of opportunities there at the Pearless Buckhouse? Yes, we do have uh, lots of volunteer opportunities at Pearl S. Buck International. We have gardening, we have the tours, we need tour guides, we also ask for office help. There's many different things that go on here at Pearl S. Buck International. And on our website, we do have information about uh, volunteer orientations. We usually hold them about once a month. But if people are interested, they can actually contact me about it because I facilitate that. Oh, great. And how can people get in touch with you? My email, that's probably the easiest way, is mtoner, T-O-N-E-R, at pearlsbuck.org. Or they can always call us at 215-249-0100. And my extension is 149. Awesome, 149. Neat. Okay, so it sounds like maybe Pearl S. Buck is kind of a, a hero to both of you. Absolutely. Yeah. What Absolutely. The, yeah. Could I just also mention our, some of our other programs? Absolutely. People might be interested. Sure. So we have intercultural programs. We have two major ones. One is Welcome Workplace. It's a comprehensive series of it's individual assessments and coaching and workshops. And we deliver this to businesses, educational institutions, nonprofits, and government entities to increase multicultural competencies and best practices for managing a multicultural workforce. Wow. Okay, that's one of our major self-generating, self-income generating processes at this point. We also do this for free for the community, which I absolutely love this program. It's the High School Global Leadership Program. It's designed to assist high school students in developing the necessary skills uh, leadership skills, multi-ware, uh, multicultural awareness, and also we create a situation where they can experience taking idea about social change and implementing a project together as a group. Okay, and what they normally do is they design like a fundraising uh, process for one of our international programs or, or to also support the high school global leadership program, since it is done for free. Uh, however, it has many expenses on our end. Uh, but we'd like to keep it like that because we also feel that, you know, it's really important at a young age, at the youngest age possible, to start working with young people about, you know, cultural differences and leadership skills. And also just my, I think it's so important, like from an educational perspective, to get children involved in taking their ideas and their visions and putting them into reality. So that's what we hope to accomplish through that program. Very, and you very can get easy. all the information on our website also. Terrific. Yeah, it's amazing to see how Pearl's vision has morphed into all these other areas. I'm sure she's smiling down from heaven at, <laughs> at all the good work that you guys are doing. And I am certainly thankful that we had you both today. We've been speaking with Anna Katz. She's the president, CEO of Pearl S. Buck International, and also Marie Toner, who is the house director of Pearl S. Buck International. Very good. And thank you so much for being with us and sharing all that wonderful information about Pearl S. Buck. We will come back and tell us what's going on. Absolutely. In sure, the coming months. Sure. Yeah, because we love to, love to hear about the programs and love to hear how people can get involved. I hope your listeners will come and be visitors at the Pearl Buckout. I Absolutely. do too. Thank you Absolutely. so much. And you are listening to 
Stories and Strategies for Women. You're listening to Stories and Strategies for Women podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. Visit me at my website, ClaudineWalk.com. Drop me a note on Instagram at ClaudineWalk. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.